Hello, everyone. This is Eric Pennington, and welcome to the Spirit of EQ podcast. We're glad that you've tuned in. A few things we wanted to tell you at the beginning of the show, and that's this podcast was created to be a tool to help you, primarily to discover and grow your EQ. Science and our own lived experiences confirm that the better we are at managing our emotions, the better we're going to be at making decisions, which leads to a better life. And that's something we all want. We're glad that you've taken out the time today to listen and hope that something that you hear will lead to a breakthrough. Hey, one last thing. We'd really appreciate a review on whichever platform you use to listen. And if you want to, leave some comments about what you heard today, as well as follow and subscribe. That way you won't miss a single episode as we continue this journey. And with that, the show begins. Today's episode is Giving Up Stuff. Hey, Jeff, how are you? I'm fine, Eric. How about you? I'm doing well. You know, you do so well at these titles, and I always think to myself, giving up stuff. Where is he going? So, well, and sometimes I actually know where I'm going. <laughs> so, well, See, now that. there's an honest podcast show host. There you go. All right, so giving up stuff, Jeff. Are you talking about like uh, I'm going to give up social media for a couple of hours per day, or how does that? What does really, that play it, out? It to? can be anything. Uh, mainly things that might be counterproductive for your happiness, for your health, for your relationships. So. You can decide what you need to give up, and that's you know that's not what we're trying to tell people. We're going to have some examples, and and we'll go from there. I think, right? And and I'm going to imagine on the front end that uh, obviously the process of giving things up has layers or or stages, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a difference between I'm going to give up uh, eating M um, and M's versus giving up um, smoking. Mm-hmm. There's different levels, and they, and that's for you to decide. You know, some some are re, well, maybe it might not be as easy to give up M and M's as it is cigarettes. Yeah, I know. I thought about that as I said <laughs> but, that. I'm thinking, well, you got the sugar content there, but I, I guess what I'm saying is, is that there might be some things you give up that may require some help and support outside of yourself. Help and support, some discipline, some practice. You know, all right. the things that we've talked about before. Okay, it's it's uh, it's not easy for most things to give up. So. so just from that perspective, why do you think it's not, why is it so difficult? Because of the importance you might have put on whatever it is you're giving up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned smoking. It could be an actual physical addiction. Addiction, yes. Yeah. Um, there's all kinds of different addictions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can be addicted to people, places, things, you, you know, you name it, you can become addicted to it. Is that coincide in your mind around, as we have talked to, I think, exhaustively about neural pathways mm-hmm. and how the brain um, uh, operates in, in this regard? And, and I want to clearly create a line between addiction, because I think there's some more depth there that relates to how it impacts the brain. Mm-hmm. But in general, when we're talking about maybe the things that aren't so addictive that there's been this pattern, this neural right. pathway you've created. Yeah, it's 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 what you're used to doing. It's what you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. It's what you like doing. So, it, you know, it could right, be all right. those things. Right. But it, it takes some time, I think, to uh, – well, let's put it this way. I don't think you should just go out and start giving up things willy-nilly. 
I think you should look at the stuff that that you're thinking about and you know uh one of our cons, uh competencies is consequential thinking okay yeah. what is the benefit of me doing this mm-hmm. what is the consequence of me not, you know if i give this up or there's some consequences that maybe aren't beneficial mm-hmm. so you you know it, i'm not just telling people to you know take a, a list and start marking things off and doing it but to put some thought into it before you attempt to make the change do you believe that um because from that perspective, I've, I have found for me, and, and this, for our listeners, it's very important that I stress this. Everybody's different. Exactly. So how it works for me does not necessarily mean it'll work the same for you. So, for example, in my case, Jeff, if I endeavor to say, hey, I'm going to stop doing something or I'm going to give something up, mm-hmm. typically I'm in that two-week mm-hmm. window kind of person. Exactly. Uh-huh. Right? And I've lived on the planet long enough to know that pattern. So when I go into giving something up, I typically go, okay, well, today's the first. I'm probably going to get to a breakthrough sometime around the 15th, 16th, Mm -hmm. where my brain will begin to support the giving up versus the resistance. I know inevitably in that first few days to that first week, (laughs) it's going to be very difficult. We do a lot of bargaining. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that that typically is the time frame. And if there's anything that I think um, our listeners can gain from what I just described is, and I don't know what you think about this, Jeff, but study your own game film, like Mm -hmm. kind of evaluate. Well, when you made a change or gave something up, how long did it typically take for you to get into a rhythm of where you were no longer feeling like you needed to have it or you wanted to have it or you you know you were going to go left when you were used to going right um i think that that's helped me because now i know that and even though there's no guarantee many times or most of the time i'm that two week person right mm-hmm. i know and again i know some people might be 3 weeks some people might be a month and a half Two months, it just depends on who you are. There might be some lucky people that it's one day. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's some people that high achieving and all all of the Mm -hmm. above. Um, One of the things that I did not learn many, many years ago, and and it did impact my ability to make the change, was I didn't apply self-empathy. Yes. Um, I, I, I I have more of a tendency to go, my gosh, it's been eight days. Come on. Come on. What's wrong with you? You know, geez, it's not that hard. You know, what's, you know, and I would, that self-critic kicked in. And then I'm not just fighting to get to my two weeks. I'm also fighting that voice that's telling me I'm screwing up. Mm -hmm. Do you see where I'm going with that? Yeah. um, We're always hardest on ourselves. And yeah, yeah, you you need to have that self-empathy because (laughs) we're human. Yeah, and and Jeff and I, I think you get this right. I mean, this is this wasn't a this is a process of where you, you're doing this dance. The first part of the dance is I'm committed and I'm accountable to myself to do what I know I need to do, mm-hmm. and then there's that other part of the dance that says you're not going to be perfect through this process. You're not going to get every single thing right. You're going to have times <laughs> where yeah, maybe you said I'm not going to do that, and then you you made a mistake and you did, and now you've got to. So I, I think it's important to believe that both of those operate in tension with one another. Yeah, and you, I've got a half-formed thought, so maybe you can help me fill it out. All right. You said the dance. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to what tune you call. 
to to help you through the dance. And I think those are those things that you're talking about. Uh, um, maybe a, a buddy system. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody like yeah. that can help you stay yeah. in step with the, the, the tune, just different things. Like I said, it's half foreign thought, so maybe yeah. there's something there. Well, I, I will tell you um, that, that that is on mark because um, I, one of the things I can look back in my earlier days that, that I certainly made the mistake of is that I, I did go solo too often. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and some of it was rooted in, Hey, I don't want to bother somebody or some, you know, uh, for support or, uh, maybe some of it was ego where I thought I don't need help, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause that, that was prevalent. But I think now I've learned, uh, I'm r- very quick, uh, especially with my wife to say, I'm, I'm beginning this type of journey and I, I, I'm going to check in with you and tell me what you think. Um, and, and I know uh, in doing that, not just with her, but I've had others, um, it it created a sense of support that I wouldn't have if if I was just trying to go it alone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, you know, when we think about the things that we give up, um, and typically the things come about because we have some level or some type of an awakening, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when we think about relationships, um, or maybe prejudices, things like that, mm-hmm. can you unwrap that a little bit? Yeah. Um, uh, when you're, when you're looking at relationships, I believe you need to really look at why you're in a relationship with someone. Is it beneficial to both people are you in the relationship because you know you're trying to to help the person? Mm-hmm. Are you in a relationship that is well toxic? I guess that's the best way to say it. Right. If if you're in a toxic situation, a toxic relationship, and you can't do anything to change that, maybe that's a relationship you just need to give up. Yeah, and you know, as you say that, Jeff, I've used this analogy before, and it's another tool in my personal toolbox, again, it, it might be applicable to others and maybe not, but the simple question, is this making my life better? Mm-hmm. And, exactly. and, th- and that's not a call that if you say no, then you should just exit. Mm-hmm. But I think at a minimum, it's a call for a timeout for a, Hey, we need to reevaluate and yeah. reassess this. Um, could it turn into being something like you described where mm-hmm. it's like, it's time to give that up. Yeah. Or it could mean, no, you don't need to give it up. You need to do less of, or, or you need to have some set boundaries. Yes. Uh, just some kind of a resetting of how the relationship is going to be formed or not formed, mm-hmm. but maybe settled. However. Yeah. If, if you're in a work situation and you have, you have this toxic situation, you probably can't give up the relationship. Right. But then, okay, I am only going to interact with this person work-related. Yeah. I'm not going to try to be friends. I'm not, I'm just, I'm going to keep it to this. Yeah. Because anything outside of this has no purpose. Yeah, and therein lies another part of the dynamic of emotional intelligence, right? The ability or the competencies around how do you manage the emotions that come mm-hmm. when you're having to address a problem or to consider something as big as giving up mm-hmm. something, right? 
So, Jeff, I don't know if I've mentioned this in the podcast previously, but I know you know this as my daughter uh, uh, moved, um, mm-hmm. I mean, like thousands of miles away from me. <laughs> and it was fine because it was the career trajectory, the, you know, the life decisions. It was time. Right. And um, I was talking to a client and I said, you know, 10 years ago, if this would have been happening the week before she left and probably the week after would have been really, really hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, not, not hard in the sense of, I don't think I can do it, but it would have been harder on our relationship. Right. But one of the key things, and I, I cannot encourage you enough to explore the dynamic of just pausing and listening to what the emotions are telling you. That was a difference maker for me with her the week before and the week after. Uh, I was much more at peace with my sadness, with my frustration, uh, my apprehension, all of the different things that I'm sure any parent who's had a child move Mm -hmm. quite a distance. And I found that the true benefit, Jeff, is that, yeah, I had to give up something. I I was forced to. There Mm -hmm. was no way I was going to be able to keep her close to me. Mm-hmm. But what it taught me is that the health of our relationship huh. was made stronger because I was willing to pause and to listen. And we've talked about it before, right? You mm-hmm. know, when the emotion comes, give yourself about six seconds, chemicals and hormones subside, mm-hmm. executive function can take over. I guess I'm saying I'd say it's true. Um, so I'm throwing that out as an early tip for everybody out there is to to do that. Well, I went through the same thing. Our daughter moved to Texas about 13 years ago, and I had to give up the proximity relationship. Yeah. But the deeper relationship with her is better than it was when she was here in town. Mm. So I gave up something and gained something. So, now, that's an interesting part, too, Jeff, mm-hmm. is it not? Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why I think we tend to be, and everybody's different, apprehension, fear, trepidation, mm-hmm. is, well, what's on the other side of this giving up? Mm-hmm. And let's face it, most of the time, we do look at the downside, mm-hmm. right? The negative exactly. of what could happen or what won't be, and on and on and on. Um, So... Let's let's look at things like, um, and I'm fascinated by um, prejudice. Mm-hmm. N- not not so much that I find it a subject matter that you know I could read books and books and books and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But how, at least in the United States, mm-hmm. um, and it may coincide with some other problems that we have as a mm-hmm. society. Yes, the holding on to prejudices. Where does that come from? And and the reason why I'm asking where, where does it come from mm-hmm. in your mind is because in order to really kind of address how to tackle the giving up of prejudices, mm-hmm. you need to understand its root. Right. I think one of the basic ways that we learn prejudices is what we're taught, mm-hmm. We're, mm-hmm. how we're raised. If you, know, if, if you were raised by parents that were prejudiced against anything, you, right. know, you name it, mm-hmm. it could be racial, it could be whatever you know they don't like ford cars 
they have a prejudice against four cars. It doesn't matter what it yes, is. Yes, and I have met people who are like, <laughs> I will never buy a car from. I will never buy a Ford or Ford, you know whatever. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Chevy, Ford, Honda, whatever. Right? Yeah. Um, if you're raised that way, you have some peer pressure built in now. That if I get rid of that prejudice, prejudice, I am letting them down. I'm not following what I was taught. So is that going to affect a relationship? I think there's the peer pressure there and then just the habit of it. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what I was taught. I was taught to be prejudiced against whatever. So does that mean that the awakening has to be larger and more intense than the fear of the rejection? Uh, yeah, I think so, because I believe to get over a prejudice, well, there's a, you know, there's different ways. I, I've heard some stories of, it's on Netflix, I believe, but mm-hmm. I can't think the name of it. It was... Uh, KKK white supremacist mm-hmm. and a, 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 a black fellow that ended up getting over their prejudice because they learned about each other. I'm so glad you used that term. How many conversations do we have about other people? I mean, an exhaustive conversation. Mm-hmm. And then you stop and you go, okay, have you ever met him? Okay, and if you have met them, how much of their life story do you know? Do you know where they were born? Do you know who raised them? Do you know their neighborhood? Do you know the schools they went to? Do you know the teachers? Mm-hmm. And I think what happens, Jeff, is we're throwing out all of this judgment about something we have no idea about, or at least enough of an idea to be able to make a judgment. Growing up, small town America, here in Ohio, I was probably in my 20s before I ever met a Muslim. Mm. So I had no idea what it was like for them, what, what, who they were. And luckily, I was able to develop a relationship and, and learn some things. Mm-hmm. And there's things that we don't agree on, and that's fine. But that helped me understand their culture and take away some prejudice I might have been you know, taught or learned along the way. Well, and I can say from my perspectives, um, in my growing up years, it was, a, uh, it was a consistent theme that white Americans were inherently racist. Period. Mm-hmm. Now, I was probably one of the strangest kids in the neighborhood. One of the strange. I'm thinking <laughs> I had two other friends who were, we were all three of us were, were like from another planet deposited because we were very much into um, uh, rock music, mm-hmm. specifically hard rock. So when I throw out names of bands like Aerosmith and Led Zeppelin and things like that. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine how that went over. Um, <laughs> so in some ways, I remember when I would hear that kind of talk, it, it would kind of, it would be like, I, no, I don't, I don't, how can that just be like that? How can mm-hmm. it be just so absolute? And I, cause we don't know every white person on the planet. <laughs> so how could every white person be a racist? Now, as time went on, the older I got, got more reflective, I can I could trace the root. Mm-hmm. 
my family have been hurt by a select number of white people. Mm-hmm. Now, was it 50,000 white people? Was it a million white people? No, it was probably over time, 20, 30, over a 15-year period. And it hurt them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I know it hurt them deeply. You know, it, it could have been, hey, I could have had that job or, hey, you know, you insulted me and you prevented me and on and on and on. And and he, please, listeners, understand, this is not me diminishing any experience you've had that's much more grave, much more graphic. I'm just giving you my life experience. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I've discovered is that there is you have to go to the root mm-hmm. as as best as you're able. You have to go to the root to find out. You know, are there racist white people? Of course there are. Uh, Are there bigoted Hispanics and bigoted African-Americans? Yes, there are. And quite frankly, I don't know of any culture, any group that doesn't have bigots and Mm -hmm. and stuff, right? So I'm leading that maybe the long way around, Jeff, to say, do you think it's important for the person who's giving up the prejudice to understand Where's what's the root of my prejudices? Yeah, I think that's very important. Uh, one, so you don't fall back into it. Mm-hmm. And then if you understand the reason that you're doing that, I think that will help you make sure that you're not doing it again. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, I was I was given this idea about whatever. That's the reason. Yeah. So now I need to avoid you can't get rid of the idea. It's still there, but you can give up following the idea into the prejudice, which is, I think, kind of how it flows. You have the idea, then the prejudice comes from that. So I think it's, yeah, it is important that you understand the root of where this is coming from. Yeah. 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 Because I think the solving and the changing becomes immensely more difficult if you're kind of flying blind with it. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, if, if you have been, someone who's been prejudiced or bigoted to a certain group of people, your authenticity is much brighter and much more um, real, no pun, right? Mm-hmm. When you come from a position of, I've done the deep work and I found out why I acted that way and I've made a decision that I'm changing. And I think there is... A little bit of a disclaimer or a warning so that you continue on your path. Don't expect to be treated as a hero after you gave up your prejudice. Very wise, Jeff. <laughs> so, Because oftentimes we kind of in our own head think we've done this heroic act. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the group, person, whatever that you're prejudiced against is not going to recognize that until you live it. Yeah. And quite frankly, I've I've found um, and I I think this is one of the areas um, I wish was taught more early on in schools. And I wish more parents maybe would teach this. That in life, there's a small group of people that care about you Mm -hmm. and care about what you do, what you say. Small. You should not go out in the world and expect that tens and hundreds and thousands of people care about your plight, your 
journey. And I know that can be disappointing to those that may be on social media, but I've got thousands and thousands of likes and friends and connections. Um, and I'm not trying to diminish the importance of caring about a person. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to say is I'm, I'm going in the direction of expectations. That was one of the most liberating thing when I could release all those people that, Eric, they're not supposed to be hanging on whether or not everything's great with you. Focus on those core people. That's where the gold is. It's not mm -hmm. out five layers because, quite frankly, they're dealing with their stuff. The, the capacity to be able to care about your thing in addition to their thing, in addition to their family's thing, in addition to their close friend's thing, it's just a multiplier, mm -hmm. right? Now, I can be respectful, empathetic mm -hmm. to what you're going through and what you're doing, but I shouldn't have the expectation that you're like staying up all night trying to figure out, well, how can I help Eric? <laughs> yes. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't have that of people who are in my outer circles. I mean, and that's not to say they maybe one day will be in an inner circle, but the reality I have found, you have a few people that truly care about you. Mm -hmm. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And those are the relationships you need to cultivate. Exactly. Because again, that's where the gold is. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we talked about before the um, before we went on air today about a movie that I am now very intrigued about. I had not heard of it before. Okay. I, I'll, t I'll tell the story first. Ah. And then I was I'll jumping talk about ahead. The movie. See, I'm thinking about Stanley Tucci and Kenneth Branagh and Bronig, whatever. I know. See, I can't you, see. You, 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 it was your fault, Jeff. You, I know. You did that to me because okay. I, I wouldn't have done it. No. Okay. okay. So I want to hear the story of conspiracy, and then can you kind of continue it out to uh, how they did that uh, cinematic? Okay. Well, the, the, the story is about a young man that was very, very accomplished. Uh, no matter what he decided to do, he was good at it. Academics, sports, music, uh, anything. He was just fantastic at it. And his mother supported him and encouraged him and just did everything she could to, to help him along. And he was never good enough for his father. No matter what he did, his father was not happy with it. He always was, you can do better. That was not good. And it just kept going like that. No matter what, he got married. He had a, a, an amazing vocation and was one of the best at it. You know, a, a beautiful home and a, a great family. His mother, you know, encouraged and just was on his side. And his father never, ever gave him a good word. And he, he started to develop kind of a hatred for his father. Mm -hmm. And as life went on and... Finally, his, his mother, who had encouraged him, she passed away. And at, his, at her funeral, she, you know, he, he had very little reaction. You know, just normal grief. You know, he, he's going to miss his mother, but he didn't really show a lot when mm -hmm. that happened. So some more years went by, and then his father died. And at his father's funeral, this man that never had a good word for him, the man that he probably hated, he cried inconsolably just was broken down. And the reason was he now had no, he no longer had something to hate. His direction for life was taken away. Oh my gosh, Jeff. And then, so 
where I heard this story, there's a, a movie and, and Kenneth Bronin, I, I, I'm knowing I'm butchering his name, mm-hmm. Stanley Tushy were the two main stars. And uh, this is the history geek coming out in me. What in, was the name of the movie again? Conspiracy. Okay. Uh, in 1942, outside of Berlin, in a suburb called Wannsee, uh, in a big manor house kind of a place, the heads of all the different Nazi departments, the German government that were going to be involved in the final solution, the, the, the Holocaust, you know, mm-hmm. killing off the Jews in Europe, they got together to, okay, they had already decided what they were going to do. They got together to do the how. Okay. This is what we're going to do. And the, the, uh, Kenneth Bronin plays the uh, Reinhard Heydrich, who was at that time before he was assassinated, he was in charge of the whole process and then Stanley Tushi played Adolf Eichmann mm-hmm. uh, which you might have heard of uh, you know he was the Nuremberg trials well no he he was uh, he escaped lived in a couple South oh, American yeah. companies yes right then it was the, the Mossad the Mossad yeah. kidnapped him yeah. basically brought him back to Israel to yep. to be stand trial he was the uh, the machine to do it one copy of the transcripts of that survived the war and this movie is based on the transcripts of that meeting. Uh, it happened over th- three or four hours. The movie's not that long, but the actual mm-hmm. thing only lasted three or four hours. And the movie does a fantastic job of conveying the harshness and coldness of the people. It was like a board meeting at a big company mm-hmm. when they were talking about killing millions of people. And one of the people that were taking part of it, and I can't remember who, he was more in the justice system, I believe, and I can't think of who his real name was. Mm-hmm. He told this story at the end of the movie to Eichmann and Heydrich. And uh, with the idea is, once we kill all these people, what's next? Who are we going to hate next? Or are we going to lose direction as a people? Wow. So the reason that I, I tell that story is, what ideas are we hanging on to either individually as a culture that if they go away or you decide that they're not important, what is going to be your driver now? What is going to be the thing that, that makes you move forward? In this case of these people in this movie, they had a goal. But what was going to happen after if they would have achieved the goal, which luckily they didn't, but what was going to be the next? fantastically done movie too well then yeah i i'm just uh i'm 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 rather floored jeff and um i've 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 thought about i've thought about not not in the same way that you described it but in america politics is a really really big deal Mm -hmm. i mean I've often said, how is it that such mediocre people could get so much coverage? Well, just a little bit of a side, what we were talking about in that movie was their politics. Well, and I guess where I'm going with that is, is that not not so much that the politicians as much as us and how much we follow it, how much we digest of it. And if that wasn't there, what would take its place? Mm-hmm. And I know that the flippant answer would be, oh, well, we would just keep moving on and just, you know, we would just keep, life would just go on. It would be no, but Jeff, I think you've, you've, you've uh, brought to the table 
it's almost I consider for me personally, as I'm examining myself, mm-hmm. it's like be careful what you embrace, be careful what you adopt, mm-hmm. be careful what you build your life around. No, uh, I I don't have an answer to this question. No, I don't know. I yeah, I don't think that they're yeah. It's but the, the only answer I think is Jeff is be careful. Mm-hmm. Be considerate of what you choose. Um, because the dynamic of it is, um, has, has some serious comp, serious implications. Now, what we, what that, that story in a movie, that was an extreme example. Right. But right. How easy is it to get to an extreme example? Well, and, uh, I'm, I'm going to use just, I put this post on our online platform, uh, where, um, it was an interview with, um, it's Peter Atia, I believe. He's a doctor in uh, somewhere in Austin, I think. But anyway, he has a show called The Drive, and he had a guest on. It was a lady who uh, her focus and specialty is around um, strength training. Mm-hmm. And and she doesn't go at it or come at it from the, you know, uh, you'll have six-pack abs and you'll have, you know, X percent body fat, like the, the cosmetic. She does it like uh, more from the perspective, at least from what I could gather, about well, what will strength training do for you when you are seventy? Mm-hmm. How important it is for you to have strength and muscle mass when you're aging? What impact does it have on longevity? Right. And I thought, you know, um, we're just we're just this chronos, you know, Mm -hmm. the clock is just, it's moving. And when you're younger, I know you can say, well, I'll deal with that later. Uh, You know, or I, yeah, yeah, I hear you, but you know, I'm not, I'm not 45, I'm not 50, whatever. But their point is, is that the importance of lifelong strength training and the ability, what it does for you, they even use this example about stability. And the fifth leading cause of death among people, I think, is like 70 plus. Mm -hmm. It's falling. Mm -hmm. Right? And they're kind of going at it from the angle of why would you not kind of get prepared for that by strengthening and increasing stability so that you can be in a position to prevent major falls? Mm -hmm. So... um, I know that's not a direct correlation, but uh, it certainly seems to me that this is not one about giving up per se outside of, hey, I'm going to give up not doing what I know I should be doing to help me build strength and stability. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, Jeff, those are two different examples, the the, the, the Holocaust, the societal world type stuff to just the things that you and I and all of our listeners have the power to do. Um, so, wow. Very powerful. All right. So I got, I got one last question before we get to the end of the show today. So if someone said, well, what does this have to do really do with emotional intelligence then Jeff, (laughs) how could, how could emotional intelligence help someone in this idea of giving up stuff? Well, I think um, 
you know, you mentioned it as far as, you know, what, what feelings, okay, if, I, if I'm if i thinking about giving up, um, whatever, what, what is the emotion you feel when you first feel that and try to identify it? Is it a really strong emotion? Okay, well, then that one might take a little bit more uh, effort. Is it fairly weak? Okay, that one, maybe I want to start with that one because it's, you know, if I get this one successful, you know, I can build on that. The consequential thinking, mm-hmm. I think, is important. If I give this up, what is my life going to look like after that? Is it going to move in the direction that I want? Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned self-empathy, I think, is extremely important. And I also think, is what I'm giving up affecting your noble goal? You know, what is it that drives you? What is the important, what is who you are? What, what makes you do the things you do? Is it affecting that? where I'm not fulfilling my noble goal like I would like. So I think th- those are some of the competencies that we need to look at. Well, and uh, we've got an upcoming episode on optimism, and one of the things that um, I'm sure is going to come up in that episode is this idea about um, we need to talk to ourselves more often. Mm-hmm. Now, I-, I get it. I know first blush, talk to myself. What do you mean? What are you talking about? Right? No pun. But I do believe we, we should be talking to ourselves more often. I, 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 I Jeff, I, I just had this, you know, situation of which, again, we'll talk in that episode about with, from an optimism standpoint. But it, it did. It, the emotion I was feeling was anger and with a high dose of frustration. And I started to go down the pathway of like, see, this is what I'm, you know, sometimes just trying, and I'm, and I'm starting to build on it, right? Because I'm reacting in the moment and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm feeling it, right? And then, yeah, I had to say, Eric, you need to pull back here. Um, you get consequential thinking. I mean, <laughs> if, if you keep doing this, you keep going down this path, this next meeting is going to be impacted. So maybe you need to just pause a little bit here <laughs> and begin to analyze okay, is it entirely everything that you're thinking right now or is it partially? Is it something you can come? I mean, it's all that dynamic. I think sometimes when we don't talk to ourselves, it's like we're in this grudge match. Oh, I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to give up. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to show it. I'm, 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 I'm just going to, oh no, I, I, okay. And it's like, you're trying to, you're trying to avoid yourself when in reality yourself could use your support tell yourself it's okay just you need to chill here mm-hmm. just it's it's this is not the time um it's okay because when you think about it and I, and I think josh friedman is where i heard this from you know our emotions are like a message from you to you yeah so it's a message eric is trying to give eric hey eric you don't need to go off onto the deep end there on that that kind of thing so anyway thanks everyone for tuning in and we do appreciate it and we look forward to the next time we're with you take care hi everyone this is eric pennington with the spirit of eq i'm not introducing a new episode today i'm here to tell you some things that might help you jeff you're with me as always so how do people get in touch with us well, the best way is just send us an email at info at spiritofeq.com. That's awesome. Jeff, I was also thinking about reviews, and I'm notoriously bad at asking for them, so 
reviews on all of the platforms wherever you get your podcasts. Yes. Do you think that'd be good? I think that would be great because one, that will help us learn how to make better ones. And it's always good for us. So to we're, hear. we're not the perfect podcast host. We're close. Okay. But, all right. But, but not, still, not totally. We want perfect. your feedback. We want your feedback. But it it also might uh, let us know a new subject. Hey, we need to dig deeper into that. Yeah. So let us know what you think. Cool. We really appreciate that. As always, too, there is social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, and we also have a YouTube channel. Those also have mechanisms or, or options for you to be able to leave a comment, a like, or those kind of things. Just want to make sure that you know how to get in touch with us. Right, Jeff? Right. We appreciate you all. Thank you. Once again, we really appreciate you tuning in today. One of the things that Jeff and I want to bring to your attention as well is that when we created this podcast, it was not intended to take the place of a clinician. In other words, if you find yourself in a place where there's something deeper going on or something that you cannot solve on your own, we do recommend that you reach out to a clinician of some sort. This podcast is purely opinion-based and it is rooted in the desire to help you along your path in whatever way we can. However, it is never going to replace, nor should it ever be looked at as a replacement for clinical help in any way. Thanks again for tuning in.